Hello. Okay. Well, welcome anybody who's joining us online. Um, if we haven't had a chance to meet yet, my name's Amanda, and I'm the pastor here at Public Church. Um, if you are in the Boston area, we are meeting at the Fenway Community Center um, at 1282 Boylston Street, and we have just spent some time eating together and looking at the word together, and we would love to invite you to join us in person. Um, yeah, so we're just gonna transition now to um, the sermon, and we'll close with a couple of songs here soon. Um, but as we transition from eating and being in the Word together, would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, we thank you for the opportunity to be in this space here this evening. Um, God, it is always just good for my heart and um, to be with your people to uh, talk about your word together, just to share what you're saying to one another and just how life is going and being able to pray for one another. It's just a beautiful thing. And so I thank you that, yeah, we've been able to do that here tonight. And as we do transition uh, to the sermon and to singing in a little bit, I just pray, Holy Spirit, that you would be here and with me and that you would continue to speak as you have been already. And God, that, um, yeah, that you would just speak to us as individuals, but also as a community. Um, we just want to acknowledge that we are here for you, that we're here to worship you. And I just pray that, yeah, as we continue to worship here tonight, that Just that you would transform us through the power of your grace, by the power of the Holy Spirit. We pray these things in your name, Jesus. Amen. So, we're going back in time. You're going back in time with me tonight to when I was 19 years old. Um, I had been a Christian for about a year, and I was worshiping at a church in Halifax, called Hillside Wesleyan Church, and um, sitting in the pew and, you know, participating, just like I would in any other worship gathering, listening to the music and the preacher uh, share the word with us, and there was something um, that started to stir within me, this desire um, that I had to be the one preaching, to be the one up there, to be leading in a church, but as I was thinking about and considering it, the only thought that came to my mind was, not me. <laughs> um, for whatever reason, I had the thought, but the conclusion I had at that time was, no way, not me. God couldn't be asking me to do this. So that was when I was 19. Um, then at 25, uh, we started going to church together again as a family, and you know, God started speaking to me, and I kept doing more and more things for the church, and then this desire again within me started to surface. Um, as we were doing things, uh, I was starting to lead more in the church, but then this desire again to, to be a preacher, to be a pastor, to be um, the one, one of the ones leading God's church, it kept coming back again. And But at the time, the conclusion was the same for me, not me. There's no way this can be me. 
So through all of this, I'm being called to something, but I do not trust, right? Like now looking back, I can see that the consistent uh, thought pattern, this, the consistent conversation that I was having with the Lord would have meant that there was something he was asking me to do. But ultimately at that time in the big picture, I could not trust that what I was hearing and what I was even desiring was of God. I don't know exactly what I would have ascribed it to, but I think at the time it, the thought that came through my mind when I was thinking not me was, um, you know, who am I? Who am I to do this to be the one that would lead in God's church? And initially, I was not trusting myself. Like, I thought I was had so many other negative thoughts of who I was and um, and the abilities that I had that I didn't trust myself to be able to do it. But ultimately, what was really happening is I wasn't trusting God. And I think what really accumulated around all of that is that I had too much pride, which often when we hear pride, we think of like being puffed up and thinking that you're the greatest person in the world and there's nothing that you can't do. But the pride that I'm talking about is the kind of the antithesis of that kind of pride, which is the pride that tells us that we're nothing, that we can't do anything, and that the desires that we have can't be real and actualized. We're too inward focused. We're still thinking about ourselves too much so that uh, we aren't able to say yes and do the things that we're hoping to do. Just one second, please. So the question that I have is, have you experienced something similar? Have you ever been in a place in your life where, like, over time that you feel like God's asking you to do something, but then you don't trust it, and you think, well, maybe I didn't hear correctly? And I think that's what I was trying to articulate before. Like, I kept hearing and thinking that I had to do something for God. But the default question was always, like, did I hear that correctly? And I think on the other side of that, it was like, I don't have what it takes. So has anybody felt like that? And I don't know, anybody want to share? You can come up and grab my mic and talk about it if you want. Be vulnerable with me and everybody else like me. So anything that God has asked you to do, but maybe at the time you kept thinking, not me. Travis, you usually have something to say. No. What? You're not being vulnerable? You're invulnerable? Not feeling like sharing tonight? Okay. All right. So the word that we're going to look at tonight is in Judges 4, verses 4 to 10. And we're going to meet three uh, characters. There's actually a couple of characters, but we're going to focus on three characters from the word. Um, so Evan, if you want to pull that up for us, we're going to be in Judges 4, verses 4 to 10. Then the Israelites again did what was evil in the sight of the Lord after he, Ehud has, had died. So the Lord sold them to King Jabin of Canaan, who, re who reigned in Hazar. The commander of his army was Sisera, who lived in 
Herosheth of the nations. Then the Israelites cried out to the Lord because Jabin had 900 iron chariots and he harshly oppressed them 20 years. Deborah, a prophetess and the wife of Lapidoth, was judging Israel at that time. She would sit under the palm tree of Deborah between Ramah and Bethel in the hill country of Ephraim, and the Israelites went up to her to settle disputes. She summoned Barak, son of Abinam, from Kadesh in Naphtali, and said to him, Hasn't the Lord, the God of Israel, commanded you? Go deploy the troops on Mount Tabor, and there, or sorry, and take with you 10,000 men from the Naphtalites and Zebulites. Then I will lure Sisera, commander of Jabin's army, his chariots and his infantry at the Wadi Kishon to fight against you, and I will hand him over to you. Barak said to her, if you go with me, I will go, but if you will not go with me, I will not go. I will gladly go with you, she said, but you will receive no honor on the road you are about to take, because the Lord will sell Sisera to a woman. So Deborah got up and went with Barak to Kadesh. Barak summoned Zebulun and Naphtali to Kadesh. 10,000 men followed him, and Deborah also went with him. So the first person that we're going to meet in this story is Deborah. So Deborah was a judge, and we're going to put up a slide here first that has the division of the land for the 12 tribes of Israel. So I hope you can see that. Um, so we have just finished the book of Joshua, and we're now transitioning into the book of Judges. And at the end of Joshua, a lot of what he said to the Israelites was, okay, this is where this tribe's going to go, and these are all the cities. So this is just a map of all of the division of the land and the cities that are within those lands. So we're going to go to the next slide, which is just a bigger zoomed-in kind of pixelated version. Um, but we're gonna, what we're going to see here is this here is the tribe of Naphtali. This is Zebulun. And this is Mount Tabor right here. So that is where Deborah would have been sitting under the tree of Deborah and um, sitting as judge. So we have already had three judges up until this point, and uh, we, Deborah is our fourth. Sorry, my thing. But what is interesting that even though we've had three judges so far, Deborah is the first one who is also called a, a prophet. And then we see that she will also be a military leader. So what we're seeing through all of these titles is that Deborah has control and authority over the land of Israel, which is a pretty big deal for that time where it was mainly uh, a patriarchal culture. So what we also see is that God raised up other judges in response to um, the Israelites crying out to being saved. But it's interesting because Deborah was already raised up. So she wasn't raised up in response to the Israelite struggles. She was already in place. She had already been judging. And when we look at the way that she controlled, so she was a ruler, she was a governor in the land, which again was um, very interesting for the time of the fact that she was a woman. And Deborah, when I did a little bit of research on her, she was known as a fiery woman. So she had lots of passion. So she was passionate about her work. She was passionate about the Lord. And she spoke with uh, a lot of authority. We also meet Barak. 
So we, Barak comes into the story because Deborah, Deborah has summoned him. And what this also shows, again, is the layer of authority that she had for a woman to be the one to summon a man um, and to have him actually come was a pretty big deal for them at that time. And so as Barak comes, uh, Deborah has said to him, hasn't the Lord commanded you to fight against Israel's oppressor? This is the question that she asks him as he comes. And it's interesting because she also reiterates, like, God has already promised that he was going to lure Sisera and the chariots and the infantry. And so we're going to put up the next slide here. Evan. So this is Mount Tabor. So this is the mountain that um, Deborah is talking about when she is talking to Barak and she is saying, this is the mountain that you're going to go up to. And this is the mountain where you will fight Sisera, the commander of God's army, and defeat him. And God promised, one of the promises that God made to Barak is that he would hand Sisera over to him, which means to deliver him. And it's interesting, again, to reflect a couple of weeks ago when we were here together, the, the focus of the scripture was that God's faithfulness is our victory. And we're continuing to see that happen throughout Scripture. God saying, you know, you do what you will do, and I will hand Sisera over to you. It is ultimately my victory. So just based off the question that Deborah asked Barak in the, in the question form, it makes us to understand that God has already been speaking to Barak. So just like me, when God was saying, Amanda, I want you to do this, I want you to be a preacher, I want you to be a pastor, like my response at that time, not me, that's the same response that Barak has had. Because if he had been obedient to God, then he already would have been at Mount Tabor. He already would have been with Deborah, figuring out what to do to fight their oppressor. So it's interesting that what we're seeing in this is that God is persistent. So even though he has already called Barak and Barak has said, not me, he now is using Deborah to bring Barak to um, the place that he needs to be, to be the commander of this army. So you would think, okay, so God's already asked Barak once to do this, and Barak has said, not me. And then he is summoned by Deborah and said, this is what the Lord wants you to do. He has promised you victory. It's time for you to go. But Barak's response the second time is very hesitant. He says to her, if you will go with me, I will go. But if you will not go with me, I will not go. So he's now heard God's call twice, but there's still a lack of trust within him. And the lack of trust is probably to do with himself and with God. Um, one of the commentaries that I was reading as I was putting together the sermon is that the reason that Barak would have wanted Deborah to go with him was because they, he knew that Deborah was a woman of authority, and he didn't feel like he had the authority. Barak didn't think he had the authority to be the one to go and, and call these men into battle. So he's saying, Deborah, you have to come with me. And the difference between Barak's response and Deborah's is that she is quick to say yes. She says, I will go with you. And it wasn't her call, you know? God didn't say, hey, Deborah, I want you to summon Barak. I want you to tell him that he's gonna lead this army and I want you to go with him. But because of his hesitancy, 
she's willing to step up and say, yeah, I will go. So we see this contrast between the two of them. It was his call, Barack's call to go, but he was hesitant. But then when Deborah was asked to go with him, she said yes. So when God calls us to something, we need to say yes and then trust. And it's interesting, again, because Deborah, she wasn't ready for this. She wasn't ready for Barack to say, like, hey, come along with me. She wasn't prepared for it. But she knew that when she said yes, that she could trust that God would take care of her and take care of Barack. But of course, because of his hesitancy, God gives him this consequence that he will go and he will you know, live out the plan that God's given him but that there would be a consequence that he would not receive honor for the task that he is doing. And that also Cicero would be defeated by a woman. And so where that leads us to is JL. So Evan, if you want to put up the next scripture for us, this is Judges 4.17. So it says, Meanwhile, Cicero had fled on foot to the tent of JL, the wife of Heber, the Kenite, because there was peace between King Jabin of Hazar and the family of Heber the Kenite. And if we jump down to verse 22, so it says, When Barak arrived in pursuit of Sisera, Jael went out to greet him and said to him, Come, and I will show you the man you are looking for. So he went in with her, and there was Sisera lying dead with a tent peg through his temple. So the battle has happened. Everybody else has been defeated. So Barak did a good job leading the army. And, but yet there's this one person, again, the one that God said I would lure to you, Barak, who is Sisera, that he didn't get to defeat. And he shows up at Jael's home, and he has seen that God's promise has come to pass. Sisera is dead, but he is dead by the hand of Jael, so we see in this patriarchal culture two strong women, women, Deborah and Jael, but then we see Barak, so he shows up late. The task that he was originally ordained and called and asked to do, he didn't get, a, he didn't get the opportunity to be a part of because he was too late. He hesitated and missed out on the honor of fulfilling the task, the call that God gave him. So Barak's part of the story, but he misses out on God's big promise, which is to, to defeat Sisera. So as I was like pondering on this story, it made me think of many conversations that I've had with people who felt like God had given them a promise, but then blamed God because they felt like God didn't keep the promise. And so as I was considering, I thought, what if... The reason that God, it seems like God hasn't fulfilled the promises that he's given us isn't because God is not a promise keeper, but is because we have been hesitant to trust. God has a plan. So back then, he had a plan to, once again, come in and save the oppressed people of Israel. And he still has a similar plan for the world today. There are still oppressed people who live in this world that are blocked from being in relationship with him. And he has called all of his people to be a part of that redemption story. God gave Jesus to us. God, the book of John says, For God so loved the world that he sent his only son, 
that whoever would believe in him would have eternal life. So God is redeeming creation, and we are a part of that creation. And he is still using Jesus. He is still using the Holy Spirit and the grace that comes to lead all people back to relationship with him. But he also wants us to be a participant in that redemption story. We were first recipients of God's grace, and then we are given um, plans that, uh, you know, again, I don't think God is anything by coincidence. So even though maybe not everybody is called to be a pastor, to be a preacher, to stand up and, and talk about God's word or lead, but we are all called to be disciples. We are all called to go and make disciples, be a part of baptizing them and teaching them to obey God's command. So we are all still a part of this redemption story, and God is calling each of us to a part of it. He will use whoever trusts him. So for us, when he asks us to do something, we need to say yes, and then we need to trust that he is going to um, fulfill all of the promises that he's given us. So 19, I feel God speaking to me, Amanda, I want you to be a pastor, I want you to be a preacher. <coughs> I say, not me. I'm 25, I'm actually getting more involved in the church, leading in ways I never have before. I'm feeling a desire to do more in God's church. I feel like he's calling me to do more in his church, but there's still this voice in the back of my head saying, not me, it can't be me. Well, I'm 27. So this is actually 10 years ago, because I'm now 37, and I'm reading a book, and God speaks again. And he says, Amanda, why don't you be a pastor? And eventually, I say, yes, I guess this could be me. But there's something I've always wondered. So from 19 to 27, what assignments could God have had for me that he had to give to somebody else? Right? He asked Barak to be the one to take out Sisera, that he would lure him to him and, and that he would be the one to kill him. But because of Barak's hesitancy, because he said, not me, it can't be me, then he raised up Jael to do the task. So what assignments could God have given me that, I, that he had to then give to somebody else because I wasn't ready, because I said, not me? So my encouragement that I have for us here tonight is be a Deborah, be a JL. And even like what's interesting about JL is that she wasn't even an Israelite. Sisera went to her because she was a Canaanite and she was somebody that he thought he could trust. But God spoke to JL and she got on his side and was obedient to him. So if a Canaanite who doesn't even know the Lord the same way that, that we do now is able to be obedient to him, how much more can we as God's people live in obedience? God has assignments for you and I. He wants to honor us. So we need to say yes and then trust him for the outcome. Would you join me in prayer? Heavenly Father, um, yeah, just as I was preparing for this message this week, I was able to reflect on um, how you have worked in my life, how you have called me, and how you have not given up on me, even 
because of the times that I said no or couldn't believe that you were actually calling me. And I have to believe that there are other people that do have a call, that you have been asking them to do something, and because of their insecurity or lack of trust, have been saying, not me, this can't be me. But yet, um, you just want us to say yes, and then you will do what only you can do in this situation for us to have victory, for us to be successful in the things that you're asking us to do. It's interesting that um, Barak is even mentioned in the book of Hebrews of one of, as one of the heroes of the faith. And so I know it seems like we were hating on Barak today, but he still said yes, and he still went, even though he hesitated. And of course, the honor didn't go to him, but he's still a big part of your story. And so I want to pray for those who as I, I've been preaching, they've remembered an incident or a time or maybe even a call right now that you're giving them an assignment you have for them and they are hesitating and they're saying, not me, but they know, God, they know through your spirit's prompting that they are meant to say yes, to be a part of the assignment that you're asking them for. I pray against any shame and I just pray that they would say yes and then trust you. And God, for those who are saying yes, that are trusting you, I pray for encouragement through your Holy Spirit to keep going. Um, sometimes we see the victory right away. Sometimes it takes time to see a victory. Um, but I just trust. I want to entrust us to you tonight and yeah just ask God that you would give us the power through your grace to keep going and to trust you for the victory God if there's anybody who is even just considering a relationship with you and yeah they don't even yet know the sound of your voice. I just ask God that, um, that as they consider you, that as they seek you for a relationship, that they would be able to recognize the sound of your voice. Um, not that it's audible, but just that they'll know that you are the one prompting them and speaking to them and that they would just entrust themselves to you as well, that they would say yes and confess with their mouth that Jesus is Lord and believe in their heart that God raised them from the dead, that God raised you from the dead, and that they can also live this resurrected life, that they can begin a new life in you. I just pray all these things in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit. Amen. Calvin's going to come up and lead us in a couple of songs.
Mexican Public Church as we ponder upon promises, all that he said, all that is promised, all that he had commanded us to do. They want to say yes and amen. What he has entrusted us to what he, is, he has said that we will do and to his promises and to his on all that he has promised that he will do. darkness fill me with peace giver of mercy you're my help in time of need Lord I can't help but sin faithful you are
is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my confidence is your faithfulness and I will rest in your promises my
Calvin for leading us in those songs. Um, just as a benediction today, uh, I'm going to read 1 Corinthians to us, Evan, if you want to get that up on the screen. One of the values of public church is to be a missional family and to take this message that God has entrusted to us and to continue to share the love of Christ with our neighbors. So, oh, sorry, 2 Corinthians 5, 17 to 21. Therefore, if anyone is in Christ, he is a new creation, or she is a new creation. The old has passed away, and see, the new has come. Everything is from God, who has reconciled us to himself through Christ and has given us the ministry of reconciliation. That is, in Christ, God was reconciling the world to himself, not counting their trespasses against them, and he has committed the message of reconciliation to us. Therefore, we are ambassadors for Christ. Since God is making his appeal through us, we plead on Christ's behalf, be reconciled to God. He made the one who did not know sin to be sin for us, so that in him we might become the righteousness of God. So, yes, let's take that scripture, let's put it in our heart, let's meditate on it, let's go and be ambassadors for Christ. Go with God.